0: Welcome to the All People Podcast, where we talk all people all the time. I'm your host, Elisa Southall. My goal is to improve Canada and employee experiences, as well as company cultures throughout U.S. employers. We do this by leading with empathy, diversity, inclusion, equality, teamwork, and transparency. Come on this journey with me. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of All People Podcast, where we talk all people all the time. As always, I am your host, Elisa Southall, and today I am joined by Wendy Holtmark. Um, hi, Wendy. Thank you for being here. Hi, Elisa. Great
1: to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. Um, so Wendy is an executive uh, leadership coach. She also does some women coaching. Um, and one of the things that I really enjoyed is on her website, when you pull it up, it's her face. And then it immediately says, I help women in leadership own their story and write their next chapter. Now mm-hmm. that goes perfectly with all the books behind her. I'm a writer, <laughs> so I love it. Um, but you know, I would love for Wendy to tell us a little bit more about what she does and why she does it.
1: Yeah, well, that is for sure a revolution or an evolution, I should say. Um, I got into coaching after a career in human resources. I was ready to do something a little bit more independent and flexible. And really honing in on what I loved most about HR, which was uh, coaching and helping people in their development. I just love the fulfillment I got of helping them along their development journey. And and so I checked out coaching, um, thinking I knew what a a coach did and what a coach was all about, and that I, you know, presumed to have been doing it actually uh, during my HR career. Then I realized and learned, actually, uh, I was advising, um, which, um, most coaches will say right there, like, no, that's not really what we do. Although, um, it can be tempting and sometimes that's really what people are hoping you'll, you'll do. But coaching is a much deeper experience and much more kind of close and, um, connected to, to the core of who we are. So, uh, it is, it is different from the advising work I had been doing in HR. Um, but in my career in HR, I had the the pleasure of working with lots of women in leadership. Um, I happened to find myself, you know, HR was a, a fairly, um, female heavy profession, but I was also in industries that were, had a lot of women leaders. So, um, so Working with women in leadership felt like a pretty natural um, entry point for me, but it it is always evolving. And and right now, I would say, you know, I open my services to women at all career levels, and I really think of it as helping them untangle the knots at work and in their careers. Now, that can mean a lot of different things along the way of our careers. At certain phases, we uh, struggle with different challenges. Um, And the rest of our lives uh, and how those those uh, those experiences intersect with our careers at certain points um, really uh, is quite influential as well. So I love exploring that with my clients. I uh, yeah, I guess I'll just leave it at that for now.
0: (laughs) Um, That's perfect. And honestly, you know, we come from similar paths in terms of we both were in H.R., right? I'm still doing some of the H.R., Um, but you're doing the coaching. And in terms of that point you made about a lot of women in leadership, I'm really glad that you had that experience where there were a lot of female leaders around you, because that's what I think both you and I are probably trying to promote, right? How do we get more women in leadership, particularly in those companies or industries where that's not as common? Um, And so in your women in leadership coaching, Um, What are you, what are you, you know, looking to potentially coach them through? I know it probably varies, but if you can give us an idea of just some of the things you're coaching on right now, so people can understand what that looks like.
1: Yeah. Usually someone will come to me at a point when they, they're, they're experiencing some real friction around career. They have been tolerating something too long or, Um, there's been something that's shifting in their organization that they're not happy about, but they're not sure what that means for them. Um, sometimes they've come to me because they've started a new job within the past year or so, and they're worried that it's not the right culture for them. And so there tends to be like themes around, is this me, is this problem me, or is it them? Um, what do I really want to do? I've been so locked in on this path that I'm on. I, and now that I, you know, kind of pull myself out of it for a minute, I'm a little scared because I'm not sure this is actually what I want to do. Um, so I, I coach them through those, those moments, which I think I've certainly had them in my career. I wish I'd had a coach at those moments. Um, but those are the kinds of things, but I think what, Um, the, just like that layer that's unique for women is the, the world of work was uh, created by men. Um, You know, that, that's, that's just true. And um, most environments, I would say, you know, maybe not every single environment, but generally the world of work was created by men. And so we've all men and women internalized some assumptions about what, That means what success looks like, what power looks like, Um, and those are not always congruent with a woman's experience. And so that's, I think, why I gravitate towards working with women. It's not because they inherently need more. Um, You know, I, I believe in, you know, pretty much infinite human potential, whether it's a man or a woman, I think we all have. Um, you know, a lot of potential beyond what we're presently doing, a lot of power beyond what we're presently realizing. But I think that women have this, just this layer of complexity in the mix when it comes to work because of that kind of predefined system that we're all, um, you know, essentially operating in. Um, And some of it's conscious and some of it's not, but that's what fascinates me the most and where I find the most fulfillment in working with women. I love
0: that because
1: it's very systematic right
0: when we look at you know you were talking about men sort of being the how we we built the workforce right um, and i'll I'll take that one step further and go primarily white men right um, built the workforce but when you're talking about this, right you know I've even heard this within my own HR world is that you know how can we be workers and mothers and you know if I I've seen it where, you know, hiring managers are like, well, if we hire that person, they might need maternity leave, or they might, you know, need to go and take care of the kids and pick them up from school. I'm like, but their dad might also need to go pick them up from school. Right. But it's these preconceived notions of like how work was created way back when. Um, And it it feels like a long time ago, but it honestly wasn't that long of a time ago. I, I heard an interesting statistic the other day that Up until 1988, which was, what, 35 years ago, um, women could not get a bank loan without a male cosigner. I mean, think about how systematically that has already put us behind as not only entrepreneurs, but business-wise, you know, and so I love the fact that you're talking about that because I think we need to be a little bit more open about how work needs to change because of not only women being in it, but also you know, other races, other cultures, other, you know, all of those things that, that bring greatness to work and the diversity, but need to help bend what, how we work because it's built for the white male right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we've made a lot of progress, but I think we have to keep those, the pace of things in mind. Um, That's a question I, one of my favorite authors um, and coaches had posed to me during a training or to the group was what is the pace of this work? and a lot of times you know when we think of the magnitude of what we're talking about the pace in, inevitably is going to be slower than we <laughs> we want it to be even though we you know it feels very radical all the things that change moment to moment but when we have those moments where it feels like oh this isn't changing fast enough it's like okay we have to think about the scale of what it is we're really trying to achieve which is I think, you know, a a really fully integrated workplace where all cultures and backgrounds, ethnicities, races are welcome and contributing fully. And, and we have these, you know, systemic ideas and ideals that, you know, like I said, some of them are conscious of and actively working on. And even myself, I've been reflecting on some of the Dynamics in my own household, of you know my own professional um, kind of way of being, and and what I've kind of bought into, but you know just thinking because I do personally focus on working with women in my private practice. I do work with um, you know all all people in um, you know in corporate settings and uh, and beyond. But when I do my private practice, mainly I'm working with women, but. I do find like, you know, the default uh, hasn't changed all that much around women's role, you know, at home and at work. So I'm guessing that even in 2023, if a child um, needs to go home sick from school, probably the first call they're going to make is to the mom, you know, unless otherwise specified. Um, And so, and that's something that moms probably want. You know, but it, it does when when you kind of let all of that accumulate, all of that assumptive responsibility accumulate without questioning it and without redistributing the work um, you know, where possible. Not everyone is coupled and able to do that, but um, you know, there it becomes like like just this huge accumulative, cumulative burden. Um uh, when juxtaposed against work as well in career, right? And I I recently
0: wrote an art you know newsletter about you know bandwidth and understanding that it's okay to say no sometimes mm-hmm. you know. And I think particularly for women that can be hard in terms of we want to and and in leadership I think especially because you want to show that you're ready for leadership by taking on more and mm-hmm. being able to show that you're capable of going to that level, right? But the challenge can be is if we say yes to too many things inside and outside of work, we decrease Mm -hmm. our bandwidth and we decrease our ability, our ability to do all of the things we agreed to well, because we are stretched too thin. So I think, you know, there's a lot of power in saying no and understanding what our priorities are and our bandwidth and really um, setting those boundaries.
1: Yeah, I think it's that priority setting piece that's makes it more bearable to say no. It gets easier, um, but if you're not sure, if you haven't really done that work to to make clear in your own mind what your priorities are, it's much harder to say no to things that don't align to those priorities because you haven't really established those within yourself. So I know you talked about how you're also moving
0: to work with women who aren't in leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, And so- for, for you, um, really, what has been the, the part that you, you know, the reason why you wanted to do that, right? You know, mm-hmm. moving from that leadership down to the other levels within any organization.
1: Yeah, I just stepped back and, and reflected on, um, you know, maybe even just thinking back on my own career and all the challenges I experienced, starting from like my very first job, where I, you know, I thought I was going to be a teacher. Um, So I studied to be a teacher um, and I did my student teaching that last semester of my senior year of college. And it was in that time, in that experience that I realized, actually, I think this might make me miserable. This is really not what I want to do. And so I, you know, I fell into my HR career when I, you know, stumbled out of teaching, And, you know, I made a very rewarding career out of it, but at first it was really hard and scary because I, you know, I, I felt like I had failed as a student and as a a burgeoning professional. And I remember one day I, um, you know, my job, I was in the recruitment office and this is how I would like to say, it's not how old I am so much as how fast the world of work has changed. Um, but my, one of my main jobs was photocopying paper applications and like, I, I'd have to make eight copies of this one and send it to like five of the labs across the street. And then I had to make six copies and it was like very confusing and like tedious. And, And I, I just like went to Dunkin' Donuts one day and I got a coffee and I just sat on a bench and I cried. I was like, this is this like what I'm meant to be doing. Like what is this work? I just had, and I didn't really have anybody like to be like, hang in there, or why don't you pay attention to what's going on and ask a question. Like I was just so lost um, in part because I never trained to work in an office. Like I was planning to teach. And so I never did an internship, et cetera. So I can, I can pinpoint various moments starting from just that, you know, very early stage, but throughout my career moments where I really felt a little bit lost or doubting that I was in the right place or, um, just really struggling with, a you know, an interpersonal issue or struggling to be more assertive, like all along the spectrum of my career and, and why, why limit myself now professionally coming back long answer to your question, Elisa, but coming back to your question of like, why expand because coaching is so powerful and beneficial. Like why, like, you know, why really um, limit it, to, you know, to executives? You know, executives have a unique set of challenges, which I I love, you know, grappling with, with alongside my clients, um, but um, there's just so much throughout one's career um, to, to really dig in with as a coach and, and, and to really, um, you know, provide service um, yeah. to people.
0: Yeah, and I think honestly, you know, going to a lot of the different layers of what you said, there are a lot of executive coaches out there. And as an executive, you can say, I want executive coaching, or the company can say, we're going to give you executive coaching. But that doesn't happen in all levels of an organization, right? And so to your point, maybe those people that actually need it or actually are craving it aren't able to get it because their company doesn't see the value or because they, you know the company doesn't have that structure set up, you know? And to your point, I think, I'll even tell you, I stumbled into HR just similar to what you were talking about, right? I was gonna do, I was gonna be a sports photojournalist and um, ended up, you know, getting a job as a recruiter at an agency and then went into HR. And so, but I think the same thing is true. I think when you're in HR, especially, you, there's a lack of community. You know, you are the person that everybody goes to right? Mm -hmm. But there's then nobody for you to go to, especially if you're in a small organization to say, how do I navigate this? Or how do I, um, how do I grow in the way that I want to grow? Right. And I think that there's a lack of that, not only in organizations, but in HR in general, to build Mm -hmm. that supportive community. And so it's really great that you were able to take a step back and say,
1: why not just help everybody? Yeah. And, and I think, um, coaching might not occur to a lot of people as an option. It's not like obviously available, you know, through, through work, but it is possible to hire a coach directly. And, and in part of me expanding that offering, I'm also just, you know, mindful of, of pricing, frankly, you know, that, um, you know, to offer, to offer a service that's accessible to people at different levels You know, need to kind of meet people where they're at, and so that's that's part of that expansion as well. So it's absolutely something that's worth worth checking out if you're just um, feeling feeling a little bit lost at work um, or isolated, as you know, you and I have both experienced. It's a it's it is a reality in HR. Um, It's hard to to form friendships outside of HR, and if you're like a one person HR. Person like I was for many years, Um, it was particularly a lonely experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're with all of the social
0: medias and the other you know things we have, we're getting to be able to build more community of saying, "Hey, you know, I noticed you posting about this DEI thing that you're doing. Right? Can you talk to me a little bit about that?" And we're able to have more of those conversations, but I don't think you know back when you and I started in HR that those were as as prevalent. Yeah. Um, You know, and I I even would like to say as a caveat, you know, I I know you said, you know, you're looking at your pricing and and maybe um, creating a different pricing model for those that are not in the executive side. But I would even tell those employees who are looking for that coaching support who are not an executive, right? Talk to your HR team or your employer, because there's probably training funds available that coaching could be included in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a potential that you could get reimbursed, or there's a potential that the company could pay for it because companies do have training budgets. They often just don't talk about them as often as they ought to.
1: Yeah. And you know what another trend is uh in addition to well, that's that's kind of a, a just like a budgeting phenomenon that's been around and people don't really understand. So you're absolutely right to nudge people in that direction. Additionally, something that's becoming increasingly popular is coaching that is offered through an employee assistance program. You know, I think that there's just awareness that the mental health system in general is really strapped right now, you know, coming out of the pandemic and through the pandemic. And um, there are some people who could be very well served with a coach versus a therapist. Um, And so that's, you know, I'm, I'm connected with a couple of organizations that are, you know, effectively wellness platforms um where people can access a coach um, and you know it's part of their benefit program. So that's also becoming popular and you know the the company I last worked at um, is building up their internal coaching capacity. so they're training people who just are passionate about it and you know, are they professional? Have they got those credentials? No, but you can still have a powerful conversation and you uh, Some of the the principles and the concepts that coaches learn are just beneficial life lessons um, that even if you don't be, you know, consider yourself on a track to become a professional coach are are useful. So um, I definitely see, you know, the world of coaching shifting, I think, to the benefit of being more accessible to people. Um, So hopefully that path will continue and in a way that is sustainable for coaches.
0: absolutely i agree with you and i've said this before to other coaches i've had on but you know even the most famous athletes have a coach because they know that they cannot do what they do at the level that they do it and mm-hmm. not have somebody who's a coach right there beside them right so th- yeah. when we think about coaching we think about oh you only need that when you need help and it's like but look at all of these athletes that we watch or you know aspire or follow on social media they mm-hmm. all have coaching. yeah <laughs> And um, probably yeah. multiple coaches.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know what that reminds me of? We're both here in the Northeast uh, in Massachusetts. And you know, the Celtics just are in the midst of a good run. I'm not sporty at all, but I saw a news or a news uh interview with I think it was it was maybe Jason Tatum or like one of the big Celtic players. And they were interviewing his like personal coach. And it was just like this like middle aged. Guy that was like maybe five eight, like he's, you know, and I was like, I'm a coach, and I know that you don't have to have that experience or to be that person in order to be a good coach. But it just like really struck me. I'm like, wow, that guy, this guy is getting basketball coaching from this guy, and what it really speaks to what coaching is and is not, because coaching really is like you know that outside person reflecting back to you what's happening um, in order to help you grow. It's not like do what I just said, you know, like I've, I've done this for a million years. And so now you got to do it my way. That's not what coaching is about in any spectrum, in, in any setting, including, you know, professional sports.
0: Yeah. That's an awesome representation. I like that. Um, and so, and you know, and you mentioned, yes, you help women sort of on your personal business side, um, but when you're helping corporate organizations, right. I know you probably are helping any leader, um, do companies bring you in to do things like executive team building or executive, um, you know, communication training or whatever it is that so the executives can learn to work better together.
1: Yeah. So I am just beginning, um, a partnership with two, two programs, uh, Uh, everything DISC and the five behaviors. And so um, those are great structures for team building workshops for leadership. And they also have uh, programs available for individual contributors, like kind of all levels, but everything DISC is really centered around that, that kind of basic personality assessment. Um, And then how those tendencies of all of our personalities kind of play together and, and, you know, trying to become more aware of how we're communicating and where we're experiencing friction with certain people. Might that be a style thing? And how can you adjust your approach with that person in order to communicate more effectively? So that's always, always helpful. And the five behaviors is a program based on the work of Patrick Lencioni um, and his book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which I just love. I did read that one, it's back there. Um, And that one is all about um, just the dynamics of a team and that that gets to results. And basically, you you need to have trust in order to do that. If you don't have trust, you can't have healthy conflict. And if you can't have healthy conflict, you know, like it's just sort of this pyramid of behaviors that when the foundational pieces of those are broken, you get dysfunction. And that is uh, also relevant to all of us because we're all part of some kind of team, but I do think it's especially useful for leadership um, teams to really, to really think about, um, you know, are we, are we airing you know, challenging opinions. Are we are we letting letting those disagreements you know come to rest and aligning around the same goal? Are we still off, just saying like, mm, yeah, that sounds good. I'm gonna go over here and do what I like. I think one mistake that leaders make very commonly is they think that they can hide their problems or keep their problems with them with each other to themselves, that the rest of the organization doesn't feel those things. And you are smiling because you're in HR and you know that that is just simply not true, right? <laughs> that, like, it's felt deeply and painfully. <laughs> it is felt well, deeply and painfully.
0: <laughs> and I'm, I'm smiling, but I'm also cringing because like, I can, I can tell you, you know, I went, one of the organizations I was most recently with, um, I went through with them an engagement survey. And I've been saying for months and months and months that like, you know, there was a new leadership team and I was like, the employees don't trust the new leadership team. They don't see the value in the new leadership team. They don't feel like the new leadership team is listening to them. And like the leadership team and the HR manager did not want to listen to me because what do I know? Um, But we did this engagement survey and the results yielded everything I was saying, right. It was like, there's a lack of trust. You know, the, the employees don't trust leadership. They don't feel like they're knowledgeable about what goes on in the business. They don't feel like there's that they can talk to them and communicate challenges and problems and things like that. And I was hoping that what would happen is, Oh, the light went on. And like, we see it, this is a problem. Rather what happened was, is like, Those are just disgruntled employees who are angry. And I'm like, (laughs) no, like, because for me, it was so frustrating because I'm like, this is your, even, even if it's not true, let's accept it as truth Mm -hmm. and figure out, is there any standing, right? If we say, okay, our ego may not believe this is true, right? But let's pretend it is true. What would we do if the feedback were true to make improvements in this area Mm -hmm. and then make the improvements and see if anything changes? Yeah. Right? because chances are when you get an employee engagement survey and all that data that comes back it's not just one or two disgruntled employees running a narrative it's likely a consensus and so mm-hmm. I think and this is one of the things I was going to ask you about is like do you help uh, those executives with understanding that like sometimes the feedback that they're getting although it may be hurt hurtful or unbelievable in the sense of their ego doesn't agree. Right. Um, But it is truthful because they're hearing it from multiple directions. And then what do we do if we accept that as truth? How do we move forward? Right. Because I've seen that happen across the board in organizations with leadership teams, Mm -hmm. especially.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The what to do with 360 feedback and what to do with employee engagement feedback is a really intricate question. Um, I would agree with you that, you know, assuming giving the benefit of the doubt for sure, assuming like, and I love the way you put it, like what, like, let's just play. What if it is true? What if it is like, what would you do if that was like some other company, (laughs) you know, just distancing yourself a little from it. And I guess what, what I mean by that is like taking more of a like a scientist's perspective. Like just the goal is to get to the truth. The goal is to get to the best outcome. And sometimes, you know, this is fresh in my mind because I just read Think Again by Adam Grant, but like, you know, sometimes that means that in our pursuit of, you know, of the truth that we're wrong and we should you know, be joyful when we discover that we're wrong because it means we're that much closer to being right. Um, cause it doesn't serve us right to, to think that we're right. And, and we're not, um, that does not like constitute progress.
0: <laughs> I 100% agree with you. And I will have, you know, I will say for, for me, that was, you know, like I said, that was a big hurdle, but it was also you know, the leadership team felt like, well, if something happens to us, this was primarily during the pandemic, right? If something happens to us, the company won't function. And I was like, you're thinking about this the wrong way. If something happens to the employees who are doing the work, your your company doesn't mm-hmm. function. You yeah. as leaders, people below you or above you will be able to, to make up the parts that, that are missing. And I didn't, and you know, it's not meant in a disrespectful way, kind of like what you were saying in terms of like, remove yourself from the feedback. You may not intentionally be doing whatever it is that people are claiming you're doing or acting the way that people are claiming that you're acting, right? Um, it's not an intentional, it just might be a difference in how they're perceiving you versus how you believe you're coming across. And just making a small adjustment could be the the fix, right? Or having more open communication and saying, hey, I see this, that you said this, and like, I, I'm Doing it because of this, but how are you perceiving it, right? Um, and feedback, a lot of the times we often want it, but we often don't want it after mm. we get gotten it. Yeah. Right? And so I think that that's the hard part is, is looking at it from a sort of neutral perspective and saying, if this was my direct report, how would I handle the situation?
1: Yeah. And I think where, you know, working with people one-on-one as recipients of such feedback when it is painful, you know, I think um, there can be a lot of noise around it. Like for example, um, a a woman leader might feel like she's getting unfairly criticized for being strong. Um, You know, like, and and all of that stuff comes up. Um, I think it is creating that distance between yourself and the feedback that's important not to say that um you know this feedback is unimportant but remember like what that what that feedback tells you is what's important to those people now separately you must decide is what's important to those people important to me and on some rare occasion maybe the answer is no it's I, actually it's not but as a leader you know receiving um you know a a lot of feedback from their whole organization. You got to think, yes, the feedback from these people is important to me. Okay. So now it doesn't matter if I agree. Um, let's, let's dig in and, and do, do the work because this this matters to them and they matter to me.
0: Yeah. I love that way of looking at it. And one of the things I'll add is, and I was going to ask you about this was, um, we have five generations working in the workforce, which is super cool, but also super challenging. Um, and you know a lot of people won't don't put a lot of stock into generations and how they operate differently, but there are different generational things that really are different. And mm-hmm. I will let, lean into what we were just talking about. One of the things that I found is that communication, right? Um, as a millennial, I'm like, send me a message on some platform that we're using, right? or like text me or something, but like, don't send me an email about something that doesn't need to be an email. Like I'm done with this, mm. you know, but I've had leaders who are like, they're going to send an email about everything because they want it documented, or they're going to pick up the phone and call you or all of those things are great. But I think, you know, especially when we're talking about maybe that negative feedback, a leader gets right. Maybe it's just the communication challenge. And it could be as easy as saying, Here's how it's effective for me to communicate, or for people to communicate with me. How best do you receive feedback? How mm-hmm. best do you want people to communicate with you? And that's mm-hmm. where I think, and I, I wanted to talk to you about, like, do you feel like executive coaches really need some of that generational training to understand, you know, how the different generations operate, but also to be able to ask questions in a different way? Of like, okay, you all like to commun- be communicated with in a different way. Mm-hmm. Let me sort of take inventory of what that looks like so that I can be accommodating for each of you in your own way, if that's possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we all need to do more of that. And from a coaching perspective, I'll share, um, you know, I was listening to a talk. I'm, I forget the name of the, the gentleman who gave the talk, but it was a talk for coaches specifically about leading through crisis and coaching leaders who are leading through crisis. But the point that I want to share here is that, you know, he was advising us as coaches to really probe your leader on how well they understand the needs of their people. Like, what are, what are they telling you they need? And if they don't really have an answer to that, or if they're speaking in generalities, they you know, it's not really showing that they've actually engaged in those needs directly, then that's where your that's where your coaching is, and that's where you're you're encouraging them along. Because, um, in crisis, in particular, but I think in in any organizational situation, understanding what your what your employees are saying they need is critical. Absolutely, and and again, figuring out how
0: you want to deal with that critical need, right? Mm-hmm. Um, again, is that important to the organization? And if it's not how can you communicate that to the employee body in a way that says, we heard you, we value your feedback, but we cannot or are not able to do this because of X, Y, or Z, Mm -hmm. right? And I feel like a lot of the times leadership, especially at the executive level, um, there tends to be sort of a a barrier, right? Where they don't want to communicate too much information or they don't want to be as transparent and forthcoming. Whereas I would like to see us move to a direction of, why aren't we being transparent? Why are things being kept secret? Why are we not telling people about layoffs as soon as they're happening? Right? Like, why are we not doing these? Because this is creating a better experience for everyone and being able to hear ideas and leverage opportunities that our employees bring because they're very knowledgeable. That's why we hired them to be
1: here. Mhm. Yeah. I I struggle with that tension having having done HR on the ground with org changes. I I know it's hard to release information at at early stages when it might create more uncertainty than, you know, than is helpful for them. And yet, you know, who are you to judge? You know, I it's 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 a really healthy challenge to be to be dealing with. I think it really comes out with pay transparency. And I know I saw that, you know, um, like, as I, you know, I'm out of it now, it's a lot easier for me to say, but uh, I think the bottom line is, like, <laughs> like, it really only serves the employer to to keep that information, you know, secret or guarded or, you know, partially shared or, and I'm not sure, like what what that means in in realistic terms, but I've certainly been part of, you know, pretty awkward and painful shifts towards transparency, where I was kind of realizing, like I've been sort of indoctrinated that you know, people don't get this information, but I'm I'm seeing that the reason we don't give this information is because it might be a little bit of a hot mess, and so that move <laughs> that move towards transparency really helps every, everybody do better because when you are transparent, you're accountable for what you're sharing and you want to be able to stand behind what you're sharing. If you don't have to share it, then you can kind of go do something else (laughs) that's easier, you know?
0: Um, Yeah. And I'm hundred percent with you. Like I, I believe in transparency all along and this paid transparency, I sort of love that it's coming um, because, you know, to your point, right, we are discriminating, whether it's not we, but we in the collective, there's discrimination happening because women are still making less than men. Um, mm-hmm. Hispanic women are making less than white men. Black women are making less than white men, right? Mm-hmm. And and that is fact. You can go and look at any statistics and those are gonna tell you 82 cents on the dollar, 84 cents on the dollar, 86 cents on the, like they're all there. And so if we have this pay transparency, we're then opening the door to say, What are the criteria for me, not only when I come into your organization, but what I like is what is the criteria when I grow, right? Because the hardest part is when you have companies with pay ranges, right? How do I get from one to the next to the next and who determines when my salary goes up and how much it goes up, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that's key is like when it's transparent, I get to see here are the milestones I need to do in order to get where I want to be. Mm-hmm. even if the company doesn't want me to be there. And so, but going back to your original point about like the employee and the employers were the ones keeping that a secret because ultimately it benefited them to do so, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that goes back to the old, like we're we're working in an old way of work still. Yeah. And we're now society and who, the generations and whomever the employees are trying to say, no, 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 The pandemic was eye-opening and enough is announced and we're switching the way that work is happening. And that is one of the ways.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting just to see how that continues to evolve and change and change how people get paid, because I think uh, inevitably it will.
0: I agree. And so I know in your community spotlight, you told us a little bit about you and you told us that you are tap dancing. Tell (laughs) us a little bit about how you rediscovered that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I um, well, I danced all through school. That was sort of my primary activity. I wasn't I wasn't a sporty one, as I've already sort of mentioned. Um, But dance is the kind of thing, um, you know, you might you might be able to stumble upon an intramural sports league, you know, or play softball at work like sports. If you put a little effort into it, you, you can kind of find ways to keep active with it. But dance Is harder there's um, I think fewer opportunities but yeah I just um, was feeling like I needed more of a creative outlet and um, and I noticed there was a studio uh, down the street for me and I googled it and I was like oh my gosh they offer adult classes. Um, And I'm not a night person. Um, And so there was one that went from 630 to 730. Like the idea of like doing a class that started at 8pm was just like, like impossible to grasp. And so the tap was what they offered. And it was so much fun. The teacher was incredible. She was you know, speaking of generational gaps, she was like, you know, in her like late 20s, um, really sassy, like all kinds of tattoos, like just not like what you picture. <laughs> um, you know, not my experience of a dance teacher growing up, I'll say that. And she was so much fun and so talented. And she taught me more about tap. I, I feel like I'm a better tap dancer now than when I grew up. Like she, it was just like such a great experience. Plus she picked fun like unexpected music. (laughs) So (laughs) we're always tapping to something, um, you know, nothing, nothing stodgy, always just like sort of fun and creative. And so, yeah, it's been a lot of fun to get back to. I'm hoping, um, I'm hoping they offer it again in the fall And, and maybe I'll try something else. Maybe I'll try, um, ballet or hip hop or something, something different, but I, I did enjoy getting back to tap. That's exciting. And I'm so happy for you. I'm
0: exploring other activities myself since I can't play sports anymore. So it's nice when you get to to be able to do that. But to your to that point about your tap, right? You had mentioned that your favorite quote was one by Oprah Winfrey. Um, mm-hmm. And she says, we can't become what we need to be by remaining what we are. And so I think that that goes very well with your new journey of tap, right? Yeah. You're learning a new way of tap dancing and new music and new instructor, but also, you know, you're not staying stagnant sort of in, in what you are and what you do. And I think that that's also important to the business that you have, right? Leaders mm-hmm. can't stay stagnant. They have, to, they have to keep moving
1: forward. Yeah. yeah. Yep, that's right. Well, well said.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, in terms of um, do you have anything coming up that you'd like to share with the audience? Any anything you want to share in terms of whether it's, you know, working with employers or workshops or individual sessions? Anything you want
1: wanna share? Yeah, I'd like to I, I have no specific event to share that people can like tag on to, but um i am uh, accepting you know one on one clients at all levels so i really want to express that and encourage people to um you know check it out with just like a free 30 minutes and just see how it feels um and also i do do team building workshops that that can be useful at all levels so certainly geared towards leaders but also um you know teams deeper into the organization can benefit from these um, using, um, you know, validated and respected assessment tools like DISC and um, the uh, five behaviors model. So, um, love to hear from people who might like to see their teams functioning a little bit better. Um so, Awesome. Yeah. I'm with you there.
0: We need better functioning teams across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, And then how can people get in touch with you? So if they wanted to reach out to you, is it best to go to your website or social media? How can they best interact?
1: Yeah, Um, I'm accessible on LinkedIn. Um, Just, you know, Wendy Holtmark. I don't think there are too many other Wendy Holtmarks, so you can probably find me there. And um, my website is uh, wendyholtmark.com. You can contact me there um, as well. So that's a couple of ways. Awesome. And I will share all those in our links as well. Um, the way I
0: end every episode is referring to my favorite quote by my favorite poet, Maya Angelou. And she had a quote that said, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Can mm-hmm. you share a time where that was true for you?
1: Yeah, I can. And I love this quote as well. So uh, I'm glad you landed on it. Um, so there's, kind of a tale of two experiences with it. you know I don't know I don't know if it's just me, but like when I hear that and am asked to reflect on it, I always come up with like really painful examples. but that is a you know an example of how people make you feel, right? But there is one leader I worked with who she really evolved and grew as I worked with her. But there was um, a really you know we were in the middle of a big leadership meeting, like maybe like 20 managers there. And we just got some like difficult news about what the benefits were going to be. It was like a real contentious topic. And the way we were organized, I wasn't really all that close to the information about it. I kind of learned about it alongside them in some ways, which is bad. But that was sort of <laughs> how it was. Anyway, she was really angry about it. And she kind of, she just like stopped what she was doing. And she she looked at me and she said, I think you should excuse yourself from this meeting and go get the information and come back. It was just like I felt very like um like a child and I felt um I just felt kind of shamed by the way she like like used the word excuse yourself like I was like being excused from the dinner table. It just and that really upset me. Um and then I will also say that, you know, later on that same leader, um, you know, we were, we were preparing for a budget meeting and uh, it was like a really high pressure situation. And she took a totally different tack and she, you know, just like turned to me and the finance person, cause we were like always working together. And she was like, you know, you guys are in a really tough position. You have to like zoom in and zoom out, be really flexible in your thinking. And that's not always easy. And I just really appreciated her like acknowledging that, you know, that situation was challenging. And she she went above and beyond. She didn't just say like, yeah, I know this is a really stressful time for you guys. Like she really like pinpointed it. And so um, I I want to share both of those examples because it's the same person. And so we're capable, right, of, you know, of impacting people negatively and we're capable of impacting people positively through our approach.
0: Yeah. And the same person was able to do both. And not only that, but there may have been some growth, right. That was able Mm -hmm. to happen in their own journey of coaching and, and, um, development. So that's great. Thank you for sharing both of those. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you know, as I, uh, I appreciate everybody for listening, right. It's been great to have Wendy here, everybody, make sure you reach out to Wendy to get your coaching done. Um, and, As I end every episode, lead with empathy, act with kindness. Have a great day, y'all. Thank you for listening to All People Podcast. If you enjoyed our show, I'd love for you to subscribe and leave a five-star review. The work doesn't end here. If you want to keep the conversation going, find me on LinkedIn or Facebook or visit my website, atpeoplepartnerllc.com. Lead with empathy and act with kindness. Have a great day.